general nerdery. All right, this has basically nothing to do with the rest of the episode that we're going to be talking about, but I don't really have anywhere else to talk about this. I have been getting more and more into occultism stuff lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, ghosts, hauntings, cryptids. Alistair Crowley, who's a terrible human being, but like is funny to read about. Yes. And what is wild about getting into this section is there will be like a really rational, intelligent sounding argument for a thing being like, well, whether you believe or not, you know, there's these like 16 examples over the course of a century of people who had no way of ever communicating with each other saying similar things. So something is happening. And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. And then I'm like, and then for our next expert, he literally says he's a psychic vampire and dresses like Lestat from the 1990s. He, it, it's hard to understand what he's going to say in this interview because his fake vampire teeth are falling out. I'm like, God damn it. Look, it's not, <laughs> it's not quite a culty, but I know for a fact that at least one of our customers at the store claims to be abducted. So I'm pretty sure one of them claims to be a psychic vampire. Yeah. Well, live your truth. It just is like, yeah, man, like I can see. Okay. You're making this very difficult. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's fun. It, it is. I'm actually really enjoying it, but I just occasionally have to be like, right. I'm reading about vampires. Look, it's <laughs> it's tangential to this. Angels are going to come up. I think that's where some of it was. Yeah. Uh, welcome to General Nerdery. We're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. This is your podcast about liking things. And that will be probably not the only time we talk about vampires today, but the only time that it vaguely connects. Uh, we will be talking today about the first season of Miracle Workers. But before that. Before that. What have you been ingesting this week? Yo, so I've been home all week. Oh, yeah, because you had your uh, leg surgery. Yeah, yeah, I had knee surgery. So, like, I've been recuperating. So, ingesting this week, I completely rewatched The Good Place. I rewatched the first three seasons of Schitt's Creek. I watched um, this first season of Miracle Workers twice. I beat the epilogue for Hades as well as getting some of the extra stuff out of the way. Like I've created a bond with every character in the game. I am now in a thruple and I'm just waiting for the, the conversation to trigger that officially locks that in where all three of us are talking together, but the other two know about each other. Um, I want your girlfriend to hear just that part. Of the, <laughs> like I know about what now? <laughs> Um, oh, that game is so good, by the way. I can't, I can't wait. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's still Hades. I, I can't wait to see how that conversation goes because that game is very mature about relationships and how they're talked about. I will probably be picking it up soon. I beat the second DLC for Assassin's Creed. There's still a couple things that I want to get done in it, but not very much. Maybe another two hours, three hours worth of play in the DLC before that's finished off to the point where I don't really ever need to go back to France. Like, like legitimately, I ended up having fun with it just because I like that game, but France was such a depressing storyline. For most of human history, yes. (laughs) (laughs) What else? Like... I've I've just been sitting in front of the TV doing stuff. So, like, I played a bunch of XCOM. Well, you can't really walk, so like, yeah. there's not a whole lot else to do. Uh, yeah, played a bunch of XCOM because I'm super stoked that that Midnight Suns game is going to be coming up beginning of next year, and I want to be, like, in the tactical mode, like, mind frame going into it. Um, 
and started rereading Dune. We we have some Dune episodes coming up in a couple months, and I'm gonna try to make sure Dune is done before redone. I've read it like twice uh, before then. Oh, and because I don't think I've brought it up before, whereas I think I've talked about all of those things at least once previously in the past. I don't know if I've mentioned that I've been keeping week to week on res- uh, reservation dogs. Oh, I've heard really good things. About it's amazing. It. It's it's fucking fantastic. It's one of the reasons we just got Hulu. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend watching it. That Archer, I need to just watch the most recent season of Letterkenny. Pretty much anything that's been on Hulu, I'm behind on. There's like, there's one thing that's kind of sad about it. Yeah, I mean. Well, not like storyline wise, but just uh, Reservation Dogs. It takes place on the reservation in Oklahoma. It's these kids growing up in Indian Territory. That's the name of the place that are trying that are kind of all petty criminals that are just trying to save up enough money to move the fuck out. Uh, especially because one of their homies had, has just recently died. It's being executive produced by Taika Waititi and Sterling Harjo. It's like super heavy, super accurate, awesome native representation, especially like modern native representation. But there hasn't been a lot of native representation in Hollywood. So Every native character actor you can think of shows up on this show. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, we don't live terribly far from reservations. It can be hard to talk about yeah. reservations. Uh, I, I did a, when I was in the Montana Conservation Corps, we went out to the reservation. We, we were doing weathering, just helping low-income houses do stuff to mm. help get mm-hmm. through the winter, you know, put stuff over the windows, yada, yada, yada. And we got sent to one guy who was like, yeah, I'd love some help. And he lived in a shack made of doors. Just like taking various doors. But I'm like, I have like plaster wrap to put on your window. I don't. <laughs> I, don't I don't know, know how to, to help here. Yeah. And I want to be careful talking about that because I don't just want to be like, all reservations are terrible. It, 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 no, it's complicated. But, like a lot of them are very terrible in a lot of ways, but that's not their fault. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. America has not treated its new American population. Well, yeah. Um, oh, oh, but because like you mentioned letter, Kenny Tannis has popped up in an episode. Of course she did. As dear lady. It was cool. Oh, <laughs> um, no, it's fantastic so far. Like I, it sucks that it's taken so long to get really good native representation, but so far the two main shows that have done it with Rutherford Falls and now Reservation Dogs oh, have both been uh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. So let's see. What about me? Um, our buddy, my buddy Chris, who was on our Avatar: The Last Airbender episode, moved into my house. Hmm. Uh, so we've been catching him up on Ted Lasso. Awesome. Because he's. I, at this point, you can just kind of assume every week I have watched some part of Ted Lasso. But he had seen like the first episode with me and then was like, well, I know I'm moving in with him, so I'll just wait. So we watched all through the first season. Okay. And through, I think, the first three episodes of the second season, uh, the the protest episode, the big Sam Obasanya episode. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. That episode's so much better in retrospect. Like, I liked it when I first watched it, but we watched it and I was like... Holy fuck, this one is good. <laughs> I kind of hate the section sometimes because there's always so many things that I'm, <laughs> I'm just a fucking sponge. And I'm always like, uh, nothing. Let's see. Uh, 
because you and I use the same Marvel Unlimited app for New Byland, one of our other podcasts, either you or Mac, who also uses that app, uh, was reading Strike Force Marvel on Marvel. I was wondering who it wasn't me. I don't know, but they were like, Do you want to keep reading Strike Force? I'm like, Well, I've been meaning to read this series forever, so. Yes. Sure. <laughs> so I read the first issue, and here's where I'm a psychopath. I have the whole thing right in front of me on my screen. I read the first issue, closed the app, and ordered both of the books in physical copies. <laughs> I have a problem. Yes, you do. <laughs> Uh, how was it, though? Because I almost opened it up myself. I've only read the first around. issue, but it was pretty well done. It has a bunch of characters that you like, yeah. including So I almost opened it up. But Frank, I'm like, if I'm going to open up this app, I need to finish reading X-Men. Half of these people are in our uh, are in our New Byland season. Uh, Wiccan's mm-hmm. a major member. Blade is a major member. Damien Hellstrom, Son of Satan, is a major member. And it's like a tribe called Quest. You have to say the full thing. You have to. There's nothing to be done. Uh, and it's written by Trini Howard, who is one of the up-and-coming comic book writers, as far as I'm concerned. She did one of the recent Death Said miniseries. She's been writing Excalibur. Um, oh, okay. And she helped do the X of Swords crossover for Powers of X, House oh, of sweet. X. Oh, sweet. Okay. Dominic, I haven't, whatever it is. Yeah, I haven't gotten up to the sword stuff yet, but, like, the Excalibur stuff's been pretty cool, so. She's good and give her a couple of years and she's going to be great. Mm-hmm. She's, she's officially reached that point of, I'm like, Oh, okay. I see her name. I'm going to check it out because I'm going to be happy. I'm not a hundred percent sold on the art yet, but the art is good and it could again come into great. Uh, and then for, I guess my last thing I downloaded Webtoon, you know, because I don't have enough comic books in my life already. And I got DC made a deal with Webtoon, who is like the biggest comic book publisher in the world. Okay. And it's just a freaking webcomics app. Yeah, yeah. But they said the first DC property on there is called Batman Wayne Family Adventures. I've heard that it's real fun. And it's basically just like a fan comic. It's mostly the Robins and the Batgirls being dinguses to each other. Yeah. But it's so adorable. <laughs> it's so good. And it actually uses Duke Thomas, the signal, who they made a big deal in the Scott Snyder run, like setting him up to be, you know, one of Batman's next major like sidekicks. Yeah. Partners. And they barely use him. He pretty much shows up. So there's a black guy in the group shots in the main comics. And I hate to like bash on the Batman comics because I like a lot of them, but you have this really cool character he looks great there's potential for him you set him up and now he exists to be the token black man fucking do better and I mean he's there's not a huge amount but uh, they're all really cute and I had to resist you can like buy tokens to get stuff earlier or something and I'm like no it's like a two minute read I am not spending money to to bump forward like two weeks um, I remembered the one other thing I ingested, which can actually lead us into one of our news stories. Yeah. I listened to The Sandman on Audible. Yeah, buddy. I've got it downloaded. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, uh, yo, you know that I like Matt Ryan. Mm-hmm. Taron Egerton kills it as Constantine. You know, I could see that with Taron Egerton. Like, he destroys dude it was real good even though that he's only in one issue dream a little dream of me that cast is insane like please 
any time you need to get a Constantine voice, like, I'm sorry, I love you, Matt Ryan, but... But Taron Egerton, if you can afford him... <laughs> did so, so well. It was, it was all extremely well done. Um, I didn't pay as much attention to it as I really wanted to because I know those stories really well. I've So you let your mind wander. A yeah. So bit. I sort yeah. of let my mind wander and I'd tune back in at times and be like, Oh, that's how they're describing this. That's neat. Like I had no idea how they were going to do 24 hours. One of the darkest comics that DC has ever put out, but that's fucking saying something too <laughs> in the vertigo line. Uh, but we watched the Netflix first look and I'm trailer. Not, I'm not sure. Is this our, uh, what Johnny storm? Um, yeah, sure. Whatever. <laughs> we didn't even, we didn't for, even think uh, of like theming our four this week, no, except for the and science. We have one. five. Yeah, we so, have five. Uh, so one of them's bag. Terribly man. done. News fantastic for one's Franklin. Um, <laughs> there's not much to see here. There's the game of Thrones guy. Yeah. Uh, Charles dance is Roger Burgess. Who's killing it? Like he's he he's spot does. on. Um, the thing is, this is a first look. Neil himself said this is all stuff from the very first episode. I mean, if you've ever read Game, uh, not Game, sorry, if you've ever read Sandman, then this you is know from that, the very first issue. Yeah, this should all. There's one quick cut in there that might not be from episode one, and that's when you see the gates of Horn and Bone opening. But they also just might open him in the episode one when he gets first captured. Yeah, who knows? Uh, it. I mean, they're probably not going a shot for shot of that opening issue. I know they're not quite, but they're, but they're pretty close. fucking close. They are. And Some I've, of those are like directly, like those are panels from the comics. Some of those shots. And we've talked about. I haven't read much Sandman. It's not one I've ever gotten deep into, but I have read that opening arc a couple mm-hmm. of times. Usually to be like, I'm gonna dive in now, and then my ADHD kicks in and I run off like a jackrabbit, but that was good. That was, it looked like it. Um, the only thing I would have done differently is maybe make it a little more muted in colors, but this first, this first bit I'm not worried about Mm -hmm. because the first storyline for Sandman is almost a straight ahead action adventure. That's easy to do. I'm more worried about when we get further down the line. Yeah. Everything starts flexing his Neil muscles a little more. Yeah. Everything after uh, the sound of her wings, like that's the issue that defines what the Sandman is. Everything before is prologue. Neil is involved, so I'm not that worried about it. But also, I I don't disagree with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But like theoretically, that won't come till season two or even further down the line anyway. So. Depending on how uh, they rearrange it, Netflix, things, they when might cancel it before it. that. Uh, yeah. um, what we'll get will be gorgeous by the look of it. It is, and they're definitely rearranging the timeline of some things because we're going to get Lady Johanna Constantine in this first season, which theoretically she shouldn't pop up till like season five. Mm-hmm. That's Neil being aware. Yeah, <laughs> um, I had seen the actor who was playing Dream, and I was like, oh, that. That looks pretty good. But he looks as close to spot on to that original art as you're going to get. Dream is a very inhuman looking kind of humanoid. I wish they would have made him a A little little bit more. Yeah, I was going to say he's like supernaturally white rather than just letting him be a white guy. If that makes sense. I can see that. 
Um, but like his face was also... more drawn than I would have. It would have been really easy for the supernaturally white to just look goofy as shit. Well, I'm also like all we've seen is him get captured. Like mm-hmm. this, the trailer is a, a minute long, minute and like twenty seconds, minute forty maybe. Um, Dream does look different depending on who's looking at him. So that when could vary. he's in the dreaming, he might go supernaturally. That would be a good way to do it, actually. I think it'd look good. But he has the gaunt look that I hadn't really thought about. I'm more excited for this than I was before I watched the trailer. So it's a good trailer. It did well. Everything looks so good. We have, we have, uh, while we're talking about Netflix, we have six news items because there's one other thing we have to talk about. Well, pop that in right now then. And let's... Yeah, because they announced that they're going to be doing that Grendel show. Oh, did we not talk about we didn't that? Okay. Talk about that. You and I have talked about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it'll be the first Muslim led yeah, superhero uh, book, or well, I mean, supervillain, but still. Dude. I can't remember his name off the top of my head because I didn't pull up. Yeah, the... we did not plan on talking about this. No, but... it's like when we started talking about Netflix, I realized we hadn't talked about this on the show yet. And our love for Grendel is deep. Is he... Dude, I am going to get a devil eyes tattoo at some point. Like, I might join you in that. That's, <laughs> I like, that's a dark, I can't believe that this, these words are coming out of my mouth, but that's a dark fucking symbol to put on you. But also it's motherfucking Grendel. Yeah. He and I'm I'm sorry I don't remember the name, but he looks as close to Hunter Rose as I have ever seen from any person. I don't think I've seen a white guy that looks like Hunter Rose. There's a few people who could have done it, but they're a little old now. They're people that could have done it like Oh yeah. 10, 15 years ago. And I think there's yeah, and there's definitely a couple actors that could just pull it off partially through their skill alone. I think Killian Murphy would be a really good Hunter Rose. Uh Abu Bakr Ali. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's no way my Western Montana accent made that sound anything but horrendous. But Abu Bakr. They announced a lot of the cast. Mm-hmm. This is gonna be a dark show. I will say there is one part that worries me. What's that? Uh, let me see. I want to see if I can find the... I will say they call the role of Grendel slash Hunter Rose as the anti-heroic role, and that is not even a little bit true. No, Hunter's a villain. Hunter is a terrible human being. Hunter is... Hunter is the Green Hornet if he actually was Was a villain. Was the bad guy? Yeah. The story of Grendel is the story of the greatest supervillain that ever lived. Yeah. That's it. That's, (laughs) That's all I need to sell you on. Uh, cast includes Punisher star Jamie Ray Newman as Jocasta Rose, uh, Hunter's much older lover. The Flash and Debris star Julian Black Antelope as Argent, Hunter's nemesis, a Native American man-wolf who wants to use his violent compulsions for good. And Californication veteran Madeline Zima as Liz Sparks, a detective on Grendel's trail. Beloved character actor Kevin Corrigan plays crime boss. I'm just reading the Looper article. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's um, fine. Crime boss Barry Palumbo, Emma Ho, plays his young niece, Stacy, who becomes very important to Hunter in a super creepy way. That parts me. That's... Yeah. <laughs> he, he doesn't, like, mistreat her? No. When I say super creepy, I don't want to make it sound like, eh, but also it is just disturbing. Uh, the cast also includes Eric Palandino as Teddy Sassone. Brittany that Allen. makes me happy because I like Eric Palladino. <laughs> Brittany Allen as Annabelle Wright and Andy Mentis as Larry Stoller. I only recognize a couple of those names in cast and characters. Um, I've read all of the Hunter Rose stories, but there's just 
some of them are like, oh, that journalist guy. Well, and some of the Hunter Rose stories aren't told around Hunter. They're told in like the aftermath of the events and stuff. Well, and the original stories were told as written by Stacy, the little girl. Yes. Writing as an adult. So you're only getting bits and pe- it's weird. It is 80s experimental comic telling. Okay, so here's the part that worried me. Um, in Netflix's press release about it, he said, uh, Grendel's the masked identity of Hunter Rose, a fencer, writer, and assassin, seeking to avenge the death of a lost love. Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, Jocasta wasn't killed by anybody. His was- relationship with Jocasta happened, and he found out that she had that she got into the relationship with him in the first place because she had terminal cancer and she passes. I'd forgot. I knew, I remember she was dead, but I didn't remember yeah. the terminal cancer part because also that relationship is kind of screwed up. Cause she's like 42, 45, something and like he that. He was like 17. Yeah. Or I think like 16. Oh, um, Cause they met while he was, uh, while he went to the finals for uh, fencing, if I remember right. That sounds right, yeah. Uh, yeah, that could be weird. It's hard. They, I understand why they kind of want to redeem Hunter a little bit, because... Cause, no, because he's a villain. He is straight up awful. Look, look, it turns out I'm really good at being an assassin. Maybe I should just become a crime lord. It's my cool double-bladed, like... He's got like a spear, basically, or like a halberd, almost. But he's <laughs> got two sword blades, and it's just so fucking cool. <laughs> Turns out I'm really good at being a cl- crime lord. Maybe I'm just going to own all crime across the entire eastern <sighs> seaboard. There's only like... All while raising this little girl and avoiding this werewolf that hates my guts. There's only like three people who could ever really stand up to Hunter Rose. One is Batman. They're not going to talk about that, but the no. Batman hunt. Uh, it's one of my favorite Batman stories, to be honest. Both of them. Grendel, yeah. uh, Bat- no, the second one is great, too. Um, the Shadow. Yep. Which was wild. And his romantic interest in The Shadow, who he who actually turns out to be playing him, which is really disconcerting to see. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, God, Grendel is so good. Oh, Matt Wagner, I love you so much. So I'm excited to see what happens with it. I'm worried about that Jocasta Rose bit. It's not, I'm not worried enough to like think it's going to go bad. But, but you don't have to do that to no, her. You don't need to. What I'm worried about is how are they going to do the Argent? mask? Oh, the mask. Oh, also Argent, because werewolves are a crapshoot in mm-hmm. media. Especially a werewolf that's in a wheelchair most of the time. This book's wild. <laughs> We've talked about doing a Grendel episode for so long, but we get so excited <laughs> that it's hard to, like, <laughs> narrow it down. What do we have next? Let's do... Let's do the science. Let's do science. I like science. So, that's the wrong article. Close looper. Scientists have found... I mean, people told them they were there. Uh, footprints... In America, human footprints that are 23,000 years old. Yeah. I don't fully understand how the footprints are still there in the same way that I don't fully understand why some bones turn into fossils and some don't. don't. But these were preserved. What's wild about this is most early estimates of 
when humans first came to North America was somewhere around 16,000 to 13,500 years ago. This, as I said, is somewhere between like 21 to 23,000 years ago. That's 10, almost 10,000 years in some cases, older than we thought it was. Now, it's been thought for a while that some of the traditional thoughts of how humans got to America was incorrect, mm -hmm. but the details no one was really sure on. The answer is probably boats of some kind, but it's still some level of following the Bering Strait. What we did know was there was a period of time where it would have been physically impossible just because of the part of the Ice Age. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, well, it must have been after that time. Nope. Sure looks like it's before it now. There is 10,000 years more history than we knew about. And this does fall again on some level, and I'm not sure how much of the native uh, population has been telling us this for a long fucking time. I mean, I want to say a situation like that is even described by Neil Gaiman in, a, in his book American Gods when he's talking about what would happen with some of the gods from prehistory. And he describes a group that comes over and they just end up dying out because the way closed behind them and there just wasn't enough and winters got too hard. It's possible, yeah. What this means is hard to say. The the fos or the the footprints were discovered, and I say discovered with air quotes, because again, not white people knew about them a long time ago. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, scientists showed up. Found them in 2009, and it, but it's just recently they were able to su successfully date them. Date them. This is super cool. I love prehistory, like just before that point that we can record. Yeah. I want to know so much more than I will ever be able to know. Like there's there's just things that we literally can't know about this period because there's only so much you can do with archaeology. Yeah. Till we invent time travel. So after we die. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's not much to that one, but there. No. Uh, well, I mean, there's not much to this either. Uh, they announced uh, yeah, a cast for an animated Super Mario Brothers movie that's coming up. Uh, like, there's they're doing it, and they announced a cast. That's pretty much the news. It's, it's animated, a fucking, right? Yeah, animated. Loaded cast. Uh-huh. Uh, Chris Pratt is Mario. Anya Taylor-Joy is Peach. Charlie Day is Luigi. That part I'm pretty into. <laughs> Jack Black is Bowser. That one, too. Keegan-Michael Key is Toad, Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong, Fred Armisen is Cranky Kong, uh, Kevin Michael Richardson as Kamek, and Sebastian Maniscalco as Spike. And there is going to be a surprise cameo from Charles Martinet, the voice of Mario in the games. Which, like, if you're getting him to cameo anyway, just... Give him the role. Yeah, of I heard a lot of people were pissed. Um, Chris Pratt. I have seen a lot of pushback on this one because. So it's a weird one. Like we like Chris Pratt more than we like most people, but he's easily the worst of the Chris's. And yeah. every like year that continues to be a little bit more so. Chris Pratt is one of those interesting positions where, by all accounts, everyone who has talked about him, even people who have issues with him, he seems to be a like. Charming, well-meaning guy. But the more his politics pop up, the more problematic he seems to become. And if nothing else, he is at least, like, supporting of some 
problematic stuff. I don't want to go deep into this one, but I, I've... I will say, at least I've he's not... Part of my Twitter exploded over this, so... At least he... I don't want to excuse his beliefs, but at least he's not Gina Carano-ing it out there. It would be so much easier if he was just a dickbag. Yeah. But it sounds, <laughs> it sounds like he's just kind of a weirdo. I don't... I don't know. He would not be my choice for Mario, is... Yeah, I, that's the other... I just don't think he'd be my choice for Mario anyway. Especially as you... We, I get that he doesn't have the star power for what they're going for, but the guy that's been doing Mario since... The fucking Mario 64? Yeah. Here we go! Like, fucking... Mm, oh, just, just let him do it. Just let him do it. I'm so excited for Jack Black as Bowser, though. Like, legit, Jack Black would be a little bit better Mario than Chris Pratt. Oh, he would be a great Mario. I'd be fine with Let him do both. Just, like, have the rest of the movie be animated and have live-action Jack Black as Mario. <laughs> okay, I will say... <laughs> sorry, what's his name again? This Always Sunny guy who's playing Luigi. Um, oh, Charlie uh, Day. Uh, Charlie Day. Charlie Day is going to be great in this. I am not at all disappointed at that. I would have been so happy if they hired John Leguizamo again. Right? Oh, man. <laughs> Johnny Legs again? I have a deep, deep abiding love for John Leguizamo, and I will watch him in anything, and that would have just, like, made me shit myself. I also have a very strange love for the really awful Super Mario Brothers live-action 80s movie. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. It's a train wreck. It's great, though. I've, I've watched it many times. I still remember seeing it in theaters. I have it on DVD. It's so good. I shouldn't... I mean, I also, if we're going to talk about really bad John Leguizamo pieces where he's great, I also have Spawn on DVD. <laughs> he's so he's good He's the only clown. good thing. He's not the only good thing about Spawn, but... Um, Dude, Michael Jai White? Okay, him and Michael Jai White are the only good things. Those actors are fucking killing it, but that movie is killing them. Yeah. Yeah, dude. No, I love, love, love the past. Oh, I don't like the past, but that's okay. <laughs> I understand. Uh, uh, but even more than that, I love his uh, Broadway stuff. Oh, that's, mm. he's super good in Moulin Rouge. It's not a huge role either, but oh. <laughs> oh, and Romeo and Juliet? Okay, we're talking about someone that has <laughs> yeah. nothing to do with what we're doing other no, than no, he no. once played a version of Luigi. Yeah. Um, Luigi Mario. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mario, Mario, and Luigi Mario. Uh, I want Waluigi to be in there somewhere, but I understand that my... Deep love of Waluigi is a strange thing. Who who would you have as Waluigi? The Tick. The Peter Serafinowicz? <laughs> Think about it, Yeah, man. yeah, I'm down. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> we'll be talking about him more next week, but, uh, next time. But I'm right on yes, this you one. Are. I think I am. <laughs> yes, you are. Oh, my God, that's so good. Or what's his name? He played, um... So good. The Queen biopic, the the Freddie Mercury biopic, uh, that actor, uh, he's the villain in the next Bond oh, movie. Oh, uh, um, Rami Malek? Okay. He'd play a very strange okay. Waluigi that I could get into. <laughs> okay. In a complete left field from Peter, what's his name? But, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, moving on, we have two more articles here, because our news is just expanding. Just all go. over the place. You know, some of these were short, and some of these we just had to talk about. Some of these we just got to How are we going to not talk about Grendel, anyway? <sighs> Russell T. Davies is the next showrunner for Doctor Who. How, what? Which is a fucking flashback because he was the first showrunner for new Doctor Who. I'm, I mean, I'm excited. I love the RTD era. It's the most sci-fi that 
uh, new who has felt to me. My first thought, and the first thing that Heidi told me when she, they were on our last uh, Doctor Who episode, first thing Heidi told me, my first thought when I heard this is, well, it's time for Doctor Who to get super gay again. That too. And it was already pretty gay, and I'm like, I'm not, I do not mean this in any way, shape, or form as a negative. But RTD made that show as gay as he possibly could in 2005. Mm-hmm. How gay can he make it in 2021? We're going to find out. It's going to be pretty gay. <laughs> I'm excited. He's excited. The thing that made me happy is I, I read some of his announcement is he was like, I get to come back. I get to do the 60th anniversary. This is, I loved doing Doctor Who. This is amazing. But first, we have another year and a half of Jody. So I'm going to be a watcher and a fan for a while. Hmm. Like, and it's, it, so the moment Jody announced that she was stepping down and Chris Chibnall announced that he was stepping down, people kind of forgot that she had one season left. Right. Because as we've talked about, Jody got the short end of the stick in the media. Mm-hmm. So having him be like, yeah, great. I'm coming back. Let's talk about it in a year after Jody's stuff is done is good. I honestly think part of me thinks they shouldn't have announced it yet just to give a little more time for what Jody's got coming up. But the media was working itself into a lather being like, is Doctor Who dead? Why haven't they announced their new person yet? BBC wants to cancel it. They're like, no fucking man. Like it's. Even at his worst, it's still one of our bestsellers. Mm-hmm. Every other day was, is this person going to be the new showrunner? Is this person going to be the new showrunner? And they're all like, no. Uh, bookies make good money betting on the new doctor in Britain. <laughs> oh, I bet. Now, the the next big thing is people are like, is Who Matt is Smith coming back? Because uh, Matt Smith has talked before. He'd be like, I'd come back. And he's even told Moffat, he's like, I kind of wish I had stayed. Like, which... First movie he did after leaving Doctor Who was that fucking Terminator movie he was in. So I don't blame him for being like, well, this might not have been the right choice. Right. But um, I don't want him to. I want him to come back for the 60th. Yeah, that's as fine. 11. I don't want him to be 14 as well as 11. I agree. But I don't. Yeah. But like, the anniversary is coming up. That's fine. Bring more. Give me multi-doctor stories. Yeah. That's fine. That's great. I love it. I wish we could get Eccleston and Capaldi back for the 60th. We're not gonna. Capaldi has said he doesn't really care for multi-doctor stories. Eccleston already has a bad relationship with the BBC, and he left partly because he did not like RTD. Yeah. They had a bad working relationship, so uh, that ain't happening. They did say he is retooling the series. At one point they said reboot, but like what they mean is retooling, yeah. not like, we're going to completely recreate, we're going to new 52 Doctor Who. Um, no, like, no, they're they, going they've to, got a, I mean, they've literally a built-in regeneration device. Yes. Like, but what I mean is it, they're going to change up the format again. Mm. I think it's going to start becoming season long arcs, becoming much more standard, uh, closer to the classic serial thing and kind of what Jody's story is doing for this most recent season. Right. Because one off television is increasingly rare. I don't know if I think that's the right way to go, but it's the way I'm expecting them to go. And I don't blame them for wanting to see what updates the format need to make because we've been following the same format since 2005. Yeah. I was 18. 17. I was 17. Like, it's... Yeah, it's fine. I'm 33 now. This is... It's had some time. Let's give it some refresh. Um, I am hoping the RTD goes in 
with that feeling in mind of, all right, let's not rehash what I've done before. Have callbacks to it. Still be RTD. I don't want you to change up who you are, but I don't want 2005 part two. Look, I'm not going to lie. It would be hilarious if his first enemy was the Autons again. Oh, I'm not saying don't do stuff like that. That'd be really yeah. funny. But <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like I and It's fine for it to rhyme at times. Yeah, but it doesn't need to be the same thing you did 10 years ago. Exactly. And you've probably got more info on this last bit of news that we got. Oh, yeah. So I don't have this article in front of me, and I do apologize on that one. But the Ditko estate is suing Marvel for some loophole in copyright law that lets them regain control of characters based on a certain time period. Like every so-and-so years, you can regain control based off this, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing's going on with Predator right now. Ditko co-created Doctor Strange and Spider-Man. So those are the ones they're trying to get back. I have been really back and forth on this one, which is weird because usually I am on team fuck the mega corporation. Right. And I'm still mostly there, but I'm going to explain a little bit why the thing is Ditko didn't have any children. This is the article I read was just, it just said a relative of Steve Ditko. I think it's his brother. Okay. But if it was, you know, like the grandson of a brother or something like I would have been like, Oh, come on, man. Like, it's whatever legally is currently the Ditko estate. Yes. Which again, I think it's his brother. And you know what? Ditko got shafted on. Well, most things he was a work for hire creator for Marvel. Mm -hmm. That happens. The thing is it was a work for hire thing. And Ditko in his life never tried to regain control or even expressed interest in claiming control of these characters. So I feel a little weird on that level. Like, I don't feel like this is what Ditko would have wanted to happen. That said, the Ditko estate should get more money than I'm sure they get yes. for movies that are making millions, if not billions of dollars. Now, for the people who are worried about this, and if you're worried about this, I understand because fucking Screen Rant and every other, you know, clickbait news site that I fall for, not their own shade. I fall for them. Mm -hmm. Cannot stop screaming. Like Marvel's going to lose the rights to these characters. No, they're not. No one. They're not going to beat Disney at best. I mean, at worst they, it settles. Even if they should, they're not going to beat Disney Two, This happened about 10 to 15 years ago with the Siegel estate. Siegel being one of the creators of Superman. And what happened was they made some undisclosed agreements where the Seagull estate got what I can only hope is just a fucking boatload of cash, at least enough that they were happy with it. And now in Superman comics and Superboy and Supergirl at the very beginning, they have something that says like, uh, presented with special permission of the Seagull estate or yeah. whatever. Really what this means more than anything else is Marvel's going to have to dole out some cash to the Ditko estate. At some point, they're going to have a dump truck of cash backed up to their house. <laughs> and it's going to pour and into the pool. And then we're just not going to hear. They will not have a pool. Yeah. Um, and we're just not going to hear about this story again. 
I did hear, and I have not verified this. I did hear that Disney's now being super dickish about other possible upcoming this kind of thing and trying to like sue other families to be like, no, we have nothing to, cause they don't want to do this. Um, yeah. I thought it, I heard something about that. It's, and it's not just in comics. It's across the board. Their contracts are getting clamped down hard because on the movie side, you have like the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit. You know what? And the proper answer would be to accept that things are changing. Mm hmm. And to take care of people in the same way that the streaming, this is a different news article because apparently now we have seven. There's a good <laughs> chance that a lot of the behind the scenes workers in a lot of company or a lot of like movies and TV shows are going to go on strike soon because especially for streaming companies, they're like, oh, well, streaming's so new. We don't really know if we're going to make a profit. So you don't get paid as much and you have to work on weekends and like they, they don't treat these people well. Just acknowledge that streaming is part of the world now. Put that into the contract in the same way that, like, the reason Johansson is suing Disney is because her intake was based off of uh, movie theater. theaters only. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, we're going to do uh, streaming as well, and we don't have to give her any of the percentages like we would for the theaters. Mm -hmm. That sucks. Like, she makes a lot of money, but also, like, that's weird manipulative behavior. Just take care of your creators and your workers and uh, yeah. You yeah. and Isaac is kicking up right now, but, um, but across the board, Marvel's contracts are getting clamped down hard now is what I understand. And they're getting everything specific. And on one hand, I understand on the other hand, just don't be a dick. Just pay people what they're worth. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm good. We're good. Um, I think that's everything. I think so too. This <laughs> is double the size we were expecting. So let's roll with it. Yeah. You know what? For double the size. That wasn't too bad. Not too bad. All right. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, it's time for some miracle working. I have to say, I love Daniel Radcliffe's post Harry Potter <laughs> trajectory. Like it would have been so easy for him to be the weird child star where things went bad. Like all of them from the eighties. Right. But, but he's one of my favorite like personalities. Cause he seems relatively well adjusted and he just does weird stuff that looks fun to him. Like, I, I, I agree, but like, aren't we talking about the 2006 miracle workers reality TV show from ABC? Oh, no. I literally <laughs> don't know what that is. There I was don't. a, there was <laughs> one season of a 2006 ABC reality series where they would like fund people that needed major surgeries and just look at their life for like a month. That feels it was super, super invasive. Yeah. That's... It was kind of grimy and exploitative and that's why it lasted a season. Look, man, if you want to talk about, like, circa 2006 reality TV, Stan Lee's Who Wants to Be a Superhero is the only one I stand a chance on. <laughs> it was bad, but it was also on immediately after Stargate SG-1, and if oh. I didn't change the channel fast enough, it was I was stuck. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't say anything about trashy reality TV because I used to watch a shit ton of the surreal life, so. Oof. I, uh... Watched all of like one season of Survivor because the person I was living mm. with at the time. I watched was the a first season because it was like a huge Oh no, thing. this was like just oh. a few years ago. This oh. was like, I mean, it was like five years ago now, but still, it was 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not great. Well, uh, I mean, that show was huge when it first dropped. I remember, but I didn't yeah. have oh, yeah. much TV back then. Uh, no, this is like circa 2015. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say, yeah, I watched first season of Survivor. I watched first couple seasons of Big Brother. There's only two reality shows that I'm willing to discuss, and that's Face Off and Forged in Fire. So, like... <laughs> Let's make things. Uh, but no, okay. That's Miracle Workers, Daniel Radcliffe, Steve, Steve Buscemi, Buscemi. Uh, Geraldine Vis- Viswanathan. Is that, uh, can you just run through the cast and who they're playing in this one? Because admittedly, the only two actors I know by name are Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi. Yeah, but yeah. they're all great. So you have Daniel Radcliffe as uh, Craig Bog. We will talk about Bog. <laughs> uh, Steve Buscemi as God. Which is why I was interested in watching this show in the first place. He's kind of peak Steve Buscemi in this, too. Uh, Geraldine Viswanathan as Eliza Hunter. She's great. Yes. I really need to, like, I, every time I watch her, I'm like, I need to learn her name. Uh, Karen Sony as Sanjay Prince. Also very charming. Uh, John Bass as Sam. He, is it just me, or is he, like, a doofier Ezra Miller in some ways? Kinda, Yeah. I don't mean that as an insult. I like him better than I like Ezra Miller. But, but uh, no, I, I see what you're getting at there. That makes sense. Uh, Sasha Compare Compare Compare. I'm I'm terrible with French last names, mm-hmm. and it's a French last name. Uh, as Laura, she doesn't come back in the second season. I don't no. think that's a bummer. She, I liked her. And uh, Laliata Fope as Rosie as the main roles. She's excellent. And there's a bunch of side ones. Yada, yada, yeah, yada, John yada. Reynolds shows up. Angela Kinsey shows up. Tim Meadows shows up. Chris Parnell, Margaret Cho, uh, uh, Titus Burgess. Burgess? Wait, where's Burgess. Titus Burgess in this? Titus was um, God's brother. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I know that. I'm sorry. I was I was mixing up my actors there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ruby Matenko as the sister. Mom's on a lot of pills. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Miracle Workers is a anthology, a seasonal anthology show, all based off the writing of Simon Rich. Simon Rich, who you and I discovered is only a few years older than us, and we started to feel a little bad about ourselves. Yep. But I'm generally pretty good about not doing that. But every once in a while, I'm like, oh, oh, no. Now that I see some of the names that have written on this show, though, I'm super happy that, like, they got this work because I know some of these people because I've listened to them on podcasts. So, mm-hmm. like, you, I was watch, re-watching the last episode when you showed up, and, like, the credits popped up, and I was like, holy Jesus, Heather Ann Campbell fucking wrote on this, who is one of the co-hosts of uh, How Did This Get Played, the video game oh, podcast. Oh, cool, okay. And she also writes on, like, Rick and Morty and a few other things. Like, Heather Ann Campbell is fucking awesome. And, like, uh, Soroka Dunlap, I've listened to her on, like, two or three different podcasts. I think, like, I think she's been a guest on, like, Fake the Nation. She's been a a guest on, I think, How Did This Get Made? I'm almost positive she's been a guest on How Did This Get Played as well as Yo, Is This Racist? Like, that's excellent. Uh, The show itself... I remember seeing ads for it, but I didn't get into it till the second season when I went, oh, right, I remember, because I saw ads for the first season. I went, that looks interesting. Daniel Radcliffe. And then I fell for the second season, which we will talk about next time, because uh, it was big fantasy stuff. Yeah, and yeah, medieval stuff. and 
And I love medieval comedy stuff, but it's so hard to find. Because everyone goes, we've already made Monty Python's Holy Grail. Like, we're done now. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to be done now. <laughs> but that's next time. I No, I'm kind of in the same boat. I remember seeing the trailers for mm -hmm. the first season and being like, oh, that's great. There's going to be a show with Daniel Radcliffe and, and Steve, Steve Buscemi, Buscemi as yeah, God. I'm super interested. And then it just... And then I just never watched yeah. it. And then we, you had brought it up as a potential thing for us to do on the show. And I was super into the idea, but we hadn't really decided on a time yet. And then my girlfriend was like, hey, they're about to start the third season of this show. It looks really funny. We should get caught up on the first two seasons. Well, Cece and I had watched most of the second season, but hadn't finished it because we just were having trouble finding one of the episodes. Mm. And I hadn't seen any of the first season. And then I noticed it on HBO Max. So we sat down and bashed out the whole thing. And I mean, it's only six episodes in the first season. Seven. Seven episodes. Which is really cute when you think seven about the days, season. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's about the same for the second season. So it I is. I think it's 10. I yeah. think so. Either way, it, you know, like. Uh, oh, I can tell you I have it in front of me. Yeah, 10. Like <laughs> Ted Lasso. How much is the third season? 10. 10? Okay. Like Ted Lasso, it is not difficult to get through in a pretty short amount of time. I think. I think I watched this entire first season last week in a sitting. Oh, no. Uh, most of these episodes are 21 to 24 minutes. Yeah, they're on. It, this is on what? TBS originally? Yeah. It's on so HBO. So there was um, commercial breaks. Mm -hmm. It was on, which is a little weird for me now. I'm not, there's not a lot of shows I watch with many commercial breaks anymore. Mm -hmm. I guess we should, we haven't explained what this season is yet. Um, no, we've hinted at it. No, uh, so uh, like Steve Buscemi's God and. Look at the world around you. He obviously sucks at his job. Like, that's how... not even the, the, the fucking story. That's just look around at the world. No, it's you. just so it's God is a dingus is like this show could not have been made even like 20 years ago. I don't think. Um, no. Um, and there's a few angels that end up trying to save him from destroying the earth because they accidentally convince him to in the first yeah. place. God gets frustrated that the earth is helpless. And in, when they're trying to inspire him, they accidentally just convince him to destroy the world instead. So he makes a bet. If they can answer the prayers of these two awkward goddamn nerds. Well, they choose that. Yeah. The bet is they just have to answer one of the impossible miracles. He will save the earth. And if they fail, the earth is destroyed. And what you said, her name is Eliza. Uh, I'm just going to go with the, uh, the character name. Um, uh, who, which the, the girl that makes the bet, the woman that makes the bet. Oh yeah. Yeah. Eliza, Eliza. If the, he fails, the earth gets destroyed and Eliza has to eat a worm and act like she likes it. Cause God's a fucking dingus. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't want to get into it while we were just explaining the premise for the show, but God being like this God and the like TV, the TV adaptation of Preacher's God are kind of my favorite God portrayals you right know, now. I in had media. the thought as we were discussing this that this has weird ties to Preacher. Yeah, it's kind of close to Preacher, weirdly. Um, Having grown up in the faith, this seems way more likely. 
Especially after all that uh, we were made in his image bullshit. <laughs> I I have to be careful when I'm talking about religion because I grew up in a largely agnostic, leaning towards atheistic household. So I'm generally like, I don't know, man. I didn't come in on this. It's not really my bag. You believe what you want to believe as long as you're not hurting anyone. This does a pretty... In- there is something interesting to me about the idea, and I've seen it in other places, that there is a kind of heaven infrastructure, but it's much more of a business than you see. Good Omens does it a bit. Reaper did it a bit. Well, I was going to say, so this show, like this is a podcast about things we like. I definitely like this show. I just watched all three seasons of it. Super, like was super looking forward to every episode of this third season because I was watching it while it was dropping. But it's hard for me to say that it's great in any way because it's a show that reminds me of a bunch of other shows that kind of do aspects of it better. Yeah, this show is not the most original thing I've ever seen, but everything it does, it does really well, and it combines them in really interesting ways. Yes. Um, The biggest selling point is as charming as all fucking get out. The characters are goofy. They are not the world's most realistic characters, but like Daniel Radcliffe sells... Like, nobody's business in this one. Yeah, like, I said this on a previous episode, and if you haven't listened to it, this show convinced me that I don't need it right away, but in my lifetime, I need Daniel Radcliffe as the Doctor. Oh, because I think he would fucking destroy as the Doctor. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe plays an angel. You told me his name. Craig Bog. Craig Bog. (laughs) Who (laughs) is the only worker... In the Department of Answered Prayers, he's weird, awkward, and has been alone for thousands of years. Or largely been alone, other than he works with Sanjay here and there. I was about to say, like, him and Sanjay worked decently recently since Sanjay did, like, uh, the Captain Sully miracle and stuff. And the and octuplets. That woman was in yeah, danger. Yeah, Octoma. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're going to try not to just mention jokes and laugh at them. But this this is one of those, especially this first season, there's so many just like quietly delivered lines that are just so good. Um, Craig had been in life a man that the village, I guess, decided they just didn't want anything to do with. So they convinced him that there was a bog monster. So he had to go live alone in the bog. On the lookout for for the bog bog monster. And he spent the rest of his life just doing it. Because he thought that he was protecting his friends and his family. And it is the most, like... It's really funny, and you make fun of him while it's happening. But as he's discussing this... And slowly realizing that he's like, oh, they just got rid of me. Oh, there wasn't a bog monster. Now that I say this out loud, this is obviously a lie. This is the first time I've ever said this out loud. Oh, God. (laughs) This is a man who has never had a friend in his life. And suddenly he's caught up in stuff bigger than him. And he plays it so well. Well, I, you know what, this is a good way to talk about this. I did sort of lay this out a little bit episode by episode, but I, I love that because this all gets, you find this out in episode four. Um, 
I love how the backgrounds actually kind of inform the characters. Mm -hmm. Because Daniel Radcliffe's whole thing, when we first meet him, is just about getting these little miracles done. He just wants to help people. It's finding gloves, finding... When you realize that he lived his entire life in a bog, you sort of understand how important to him just, like, a breeze at the right time would be. Yeah. The little miracles. The finding the gloves. The finding the keys. I mean, keys wouldn't be a thing for him, but... Right, but... He had enough time to notice just the difference that a leaf falling here instead of there could make. Yeah. The other, like, Eliza was... She was a warlord queen. Yeah. And Sanjay was a prince. And Eliza is... (laughs) Just a small empire. (laughs) Eliza is impulsive and headstrong, and she keeps getting people killed. That's the thing we haven't mentioned. The show is dark as fuck for something as uplifting as it is. <laughs> and it's a bit of whiplash watching this with Ted Lasso like I've been doing. Um, Eliza means well. She wants what's best for the people around her. And her she kills people, a lot of but people. But she kills a season. lot of people. Uh, Sanjay is not a bad guy, but he is the prince of entitlement. Because yeah, he's always been it. kind of the important. Mm-hmm. And we don't actually ever learn what Rosie's... What, who Rosie was in life. No, we just learn, uh, like, her origin as soon as she died. Yeah. As soon as she was randomly chosen for heaven. <laughs> so let's go, you had this, you have this laid out a little bit. I went in being like, well, I sure hope something goes well, because I didn't plan out this episode. I was going to just do it that way. Like I said, I watched this twice this week, because uh-huh. I had nothing to do. Okay. And after that first time, I was like... Maybe I could go through and actually write down some things. I would have gone through it twice, but I didn't want to do that to roommate and wife again. They probably would have let me, but... I'm just going to get some of these, like, a little bit of my gripe out of the way of how it reminds me of a bunch of other things that do all the things it does better. Okay. This show is kind of Blackadder, which makes more sense when you watch more than one season. Because each season is a different story involving the same actors, and the same with the Blackadder is different members of the same family. Mm -hmm. It was also really weird watching this right after rewatching all of The Good Place. Where they do the afterlife in its own. Now, The Good Place is trying to make a point. This is trying to be cute. Yeah. The the heaven heaven bureaucracy uh, kind of reminded me, it's not at all the same, but it did remind me of uh, Dead Like Me. I definitely got some Dead Like I was just going to say that if you didn't. The I love Dead Like oh, Me. Dead Like Me is so good. Which is also uh, very loosely based off of one of my favorite novels. Oh, on I didn't a pale, know that. Yeah, uh, it's based off of On a Pale Horse from Piers Anthony. Really? Yes. The first of the Incarnations of Immortality series. Is his non-Xanth books less problematic than some of his? Ooh, not necessarily. Because I liked Spell for Chameleon when I was a kid, and then I thought about it as an adult, and I had to go have a sit-down. I suppose it that depends. Book is fucked up. I depend. I guess it depends on which problematics and which books in the series too, because it That's also true. varies. Not all of them are as. Yeah, it varies widely book to book, but he's another author that Jesus embraces Christ, being a dirty old up. man. <laughs> You're giving me the crazy eyes on the audio medium. I never, but. well, I read, look, I have literally read, a, he has an extensive bibliography. Oh, yeah, I read I like have, 30 of his books and I didn't even I've scratch I've read the about three quarters of his works. I actually, like, brought up a list at one point and, like, which ones have I? Read it, and read it, nope, read it, yeah. About three quarters of his works. 
Um, I'm, they're all fun. They're all, they're all done well, well, and with like they're technically well, good intentionally creepy. Yeah, some of them get really fucking creepy, especially looking back on them now, like twenty years after I read them. Because some of them, the first time I read them, were in high school. Grade school or middle school for me, so I understand. Or, yeah, or grade school uh, for, like, some of the earlier Zan stuff. The creepier stuff doesn't come till later. I'm still going to say Spell for Chameleon is so fucked up, but... Um, directly after that, Source of Magic wasn't very fucked up, though. No. The direct uh, sequel. Ogre, Ogre, Nightmare, a lot yeah. of those are pretty good. We are way off topic here, but... Uh... <laughs> anyway, yeah, we're super <laughs> off topic. No, uh, I will say there is some... On a Pale Horse has some very questionable violence towards women that really probably does not need to be in there, yeah, but is otherwise me. really, really well done. Okay. Um, okay, what else do we have? Uh, Dead Like Me, we already mentioned Preacher, that it has some surprising similarities yeah. to. Well, and even, even if I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, like, those are all things that do those bits mm-hmm. Better, better than this. It's and just that this is a good conglomeration of all, all of those, those little bits. different ideas. Yeah. And Stephen, when I was talking to him about this, mentioned he kind of compared it to American Horror Story in a very different way, but just as like both our anthology mm-hmm. uh, seasonal shows. I think American Horror Story goes a little, he- obviously goes a little heavier into stuff, but uh, this and- one might actually still win for Kill Counts. <laughs> And I also uh, found it weird how close the theme for the first season is to uh, the ecstasy of gold from The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I don't. Oh, literally the theme song. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's... Yeah, that's pretty close. I'm trying so hard not to talk about the second <laughs> season because that's next time. Mm-hmm. But the second season intro is better. Yes. Is this one still very good? But I, I think the third season intro is fucking genius. We'll get there in yeah, uh, eventually. about a month. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, so first episode, we it's kind of just the setup. We already gave the setup. Mm-hmm. It's entitled Two Weeks, God Decides to Blow Up the Earth. Uh, we introduced, get introduced to all the characters. Eliza kills a bunch of people. We the, the most important thing that we haven't discussed that we learn here is they can't do wild major changes. They have to mostly follow the laws of physics. They can't be like, oh, it needs to rain. Okay, time to, I'll just make it rain right there because the whole world is still interconnected in the way that it is in ours. She makes it rain in a place that's having a drought and accidentally starts a typhoon. Yes. In a different part and kills many people. I I mentioned she's in the show. This show past season one needs more Angela Kinsey and I'm sad that she never shows back up, but... Who was Angela? She's the, the at the desk. Oh, she was yeah. so good. Angela from the office's real name is Angela. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. That's where I knew her from. She that part gave me very dead like me yes. Reaper vibes. Um Dolores Herbig, as in her big brown eyes. Who was also in Reaper is the same person mm-hmm. I'm thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> there's there is an archetype of weird awesome. Her line of like Earth is screwed. It's no longer 15 naked people rocking out with a bitch and dinosaurs anymore. And they're like, uh, I don't think that's how it ever. That line and the sheer, like, not breaking character, just saying that so mm-hmm. fast was just perfect. There was a, 
Oh, I guess to a good extent, this did remind me a little bit of Good Omens, and I'm going to bring up something from there. Mm. I All of Daniel Radcliffe's Little Miracles reminded me of like being the opposite of uh, Crowley engineering the M25. <laughs> And I wish Same they would thing, have. Em- good. I wish they would have emphasized how much Goodies. the little miracles introduce this good into the world. Yeah, because it ends up being important that he has those abilities later on in the season. Well, and you see that he's been doing this forever, and that like they he's got this spot where he uh, uh, staples to the wall all the miracles that he's successfully done. And the, you like can't see the ceiling, and it goes all the way up. But especially in retrospect, I think there was an awesome opportunity in uh, episode three, the Game Changers episode with Sanjay, mm-hmm. to like look into that a little bit. Oh, that would have been nice. I would have liked that. Like Sanjay thinking he's hot shit and going and looking up like the official records or something of the people he's helped or saved. Oh, yeah, that would have been a realizing really... that like Daniel Radcliffe's score or whatever is off is, the charts. Yeah. Oh, I would have loved that. Oh, that would have been so good. Um, because it they do make it important that he has these skills. But I think, especially when you're tackling this subject, you could have tackled the fact that he. Instead of just playing it for a joke that, like, he accidentally helped a murderer find his fucking murder glove. <laughs> that was Which was so great. Good, you could still do that. You could have, like, Sanjay later trying to show um, like, Eliza. Oh, did, yeah. She's like, yeah, like, I first showed up and we accidentally helped a fucking murderer out while they're, like, looking up the records. And then Sanjay realizing, like, look, for, like, every murderer he accidentally helped out, like... He's saved a million people, mm-hmm. um, even in just little ways. Like, you could go really real in that scene and be like, "He helped somebody find their fucking keys, and that's the reason they didn't beat their kid that day, or something." Like, oof, or dark, or you know, made it to work and saved a life because they work at the hospital. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. you could you could go real fucking dark, like a Tyler's apparently going today, <laughs> yeah. or we could go a little more sanguine. Um, <laughs> But you know what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, no, like, I, I see yeah, exactly yeah. what you're saying. Um, Not that I did think they did a bad job, but in retrospect, I'm like, mm, there was an opportunity here. This show doesn't push many boundaries. No. And they could have. And I'm not mad that they didn't, but they they could have for sure. We do see that Eliza honestly wants to help, I think is a very important part of the first episode. And we can kind of see how they're a good balance for each other. It would have been so easy... For Eliza being like, come on, we're going to go save the world. We do see why his, how he works and how he's careful is important on top of her. Let's go do stuff. Let's Mm -hmm. aim higher than just the keys. Uh, All of the departments of heaven were my favorite. (laughs) I can't pick one. There are all, all those tiny little clips of like, having to choose which animal is going to go extinct because of budget cuts. That is the darkest. And they're like, it's like dog. It's like super general dog horse. (laughs) Like, and they're like, or, uh, they, because they're going to destroy the earth, they can't show the new animals coming out. And it was going to be like, okay, let's be honest. None of those were going to get funded anyway. I know, but still like the talking dog, talking dog, winged horse, frightening new human. And just says, we're immortal. Like, 
this tiny sight gags or uh, she's running and she knocks over a guy that's carrying like a, a giant snowflake. And the person next to her is like, let's just make two of this one. Nobody's Who's going to notice, notice Todd? Well, and, and throughout this, it comes up mostly again in the very last episode when everybody's doing like their exit interviews and like Department of Bug Control. Or should I say Bug Control? Yeah, we were supposed to control them. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, none of the departments do their job right. Or in the second episode, we have... I'm the, high all the time. <laughs> in the second episode, we have the Department of Genitalia. Yes. Look, I don't know what you think we do down here in Genitalia, but <laughs> you mostly just making sure puberty happens. <laughs> you you have to, to look at it while you're pumping... Why? Uh, <laughs> it's uh, let's jump to episode two on yeah. that one. Uh, most of this is God has decided he is going to, since he thinks the earth is going to be destroyed, he's trying to make a restaurant. Oh, the other big thing from the first one was they decide on that miracle because they both are interested in each other. Yes. The two nerds, I shouldn't just call them that because I'm literally on a podcast called General Nerdy, but Jesus Christ. Yes. Um, <laughs> The the two nerds, although credit to them, I didn't often feel like they were laughing at the nerds. No, no. Like, you know, Big Bang Theory sometimes really felt like they were mocking nerds. Or like most of the time. Yeah, but most yeah. shows. These ones, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, you're awkward. But also like, come on, buddy, I believe in you. You can do this. It was um, it was less mocking them and more just that like nobody except for Craig actually understood them. Yes. What is the... Lady nerd's name again? Laura. Laura? My only possible critique, and it's not, re- it's a, almost a weird critique, for someone that they talk about, like she put on her least stained shirt for a date, she is extremely beautiful and her stuff always looks like immaculate while doing it. Like, yeah. if you're going to make the joke of she's like the awkward, frumpled nerd, you have to actually make her. An awkward and frumpled nerd. nerd as opposed to like, Jesus Christ, you're gorgeous. Yeah. Um, yo, about episode two, like I'm, I'm kind of okay with Bill Maher getting smited. I have no problem with Bill Maher dying other than I generally don't like dying people dying, but like, I don't like Bill Maher. Uh, fucking and Radcliffe just chomping down on the mustards almost is made the me most gag. disgusting thing. I straight up to. I hate mustard, dude. Like, even the smell of that can make me gag sometimes. Like a, I've discovered in the last year, only in the last year, a really good mustard works in conjunction with other things. But the idea of, as a celebration, just opening up a cheap yellow mustard packet and eating it, I guess maybe if it's you ate dirt from a, mud. Yeah, you, if you ate dirt in a bog your entire life. But good fucking God, that's disgusting. Um... God decides that he's going to blow up Bill Maher's penis because Bill Maher made fun of God. Uh, And these two are trying to figure out just how to make these nerds meet up again. Yes. Because this is where they're trying to send the sign, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to send the sign and get them to exchange phone numbers. The realization that signs never work and the example they show is uh, showing all the signs to Abraham Lincoln. And he's like, what a normal, beautiful (laughs) theater it's going to be. Look at that murder of crows. Time to go inside. (laughs) That was really good. 
I, I, I'm, dude, all the penis stuff just had me fucking rolling, though. Like, I'm a sucker for stupid dick jokes, and there was a lot of really good stupid This was dick like jokes. some Kevin Smith dick jokes. Like, I... I don't know if Kevin Smith watches this show, but someone needs to sit him down and show him this episode in particular. Now, after um, the Department of Genitals let Sanjay know what they actually do down there in the Department of Genitals, and they made the offhand comment like, what do you think we are, the Department of Anuses? I am surprised that he didn't try the Department of Anuses to see if he could find a back door. Didn't. Get out. <laughs> I know this is your apartment, but get out. <laughs> <laughs> Where episode one was setting up the world, episode two is mostly about setting up the working relationship between Eliza and Craig. Yes, and a more heavy introduction to Sanjay and Rosie. Mm-hmm. And Rosie's, Not as much Rosie, but... Rosie's a few more episodes until she really starts to step in, but you get more of an idea of who Sanjay is, where he is. We haven't really said that. He is working as the executive for God, and he went in expecting it to be, you know an amazing thing. And instead it's Steve Buscemi. It's Steve Buscemi being a dingus. <laughs> I mean, like making his role from big Lebowski look like with it and together. Yes. Um, and trying to hide this from this everybody. Is, this is Steve Buscemi as crazy eyes as God. Steve Buscemi just being the worst Steve Buscemi can be. Um, so, like, Lazy Susan's is actually kind of dumb, right? But it's not super dumb, because, like, they're swim-up bars. <laughs> the idea <laughs> of Lazy Susan's is that it is one of those floating river, like, lazy rivers. And then you have a claw, and you just grab the food that you want as you go. The idea of, like, a floating river where you can just grab stuff on the side isn't the worst but the way he sets it up is terrible. Is awful. He makes a terrible claw that is completely unusable. He sets up all of the food choices he makes are like gumbo. The idea of eating gumbo with a claw. As an adult, lazy rivers are disgusting. Yes, no, absolutely. As an adult, they're disgusting. The idea of adding food to that in any way, shape, or form gives me the cold sweats. Like, someone's going to die. And then, giveaway for a later joke, he doesn't have any bathrooms in this. No. Because he just figures you can go in the Lazy Susan. Also, he just never bothers to figure out where this uh, restaurant's going to be because he's blowing up the Earth. Right. And I guess there's other, like, galaxies and planets and stuff that other gods control but there's some sort of celestial something going on that's always hinted at but it's yeah, never made not, clear what's going on he's not the only god because right. he has we've mentioned mother brother sister but he's the god of earth and presumably this region solar system i feel like but uh or galaxy um the is it gyro gyros or gyros might be one of the best jokes of this one. Mm, it smells like gyros. Oh, it makes me angry. Oh, it makes me angry. It also made me want a gyro. But I think that was very quick, and I'm gonna we're probably gonna be kind of quick going through the individual episodes. Just watch the fucking show. Uh, episode three. Episode three. Twelve days. Uh, oh, 
Well, at the end of episode two, a wrench gets thrown in their plans because they've exchanged numbers, but then Laura meets the string theory dude. Oh, my God. Oh, string theory guy. Who, how do you have the character of Mark Brandanowitz, who's both like the knockoff version and the overblown version all at the same time? <sighs> this fucking guy. <laughs> Dude, he stressed me out the entire time with just how much of an of a obvious of a just piece of shit he is. <laughs> like he's uh, the point of this. You can tell from really early on that he must have some kind of money because he's one of those people that like. Guess I'm going to China for yeah six weeks. Don't worry about it. Oh, I guess I'll just not go to work today. And one of those people that they're like, I'm teaching enlightenment. I'm like, where do you get your money? I have to go to work. But he starts, I guess, dating Laura. He at least yeah, is. I mean, they, they go out a couple of times and she's attracted to him and he's clearly attracted to her. Whether they are fully dating or not is a little up in the air. But well, he moves in. He tries to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but. It's just that this lasts at most five days because the next episode is six days. Yeah. So, uh, this, his string theory is like, if one, anytime someone talks about string theory on YouTube, just run away from that person. Yes. Let alone the fact that this has absolutely nothing to do with string theory. His entire thing is those like weird feel good positivity videos. What if we're all connected? But his thing is like, you hold this piece of string and I'll have someone else who's very different from you hold this other side of the string. And then we'll have videos of you guys like bonding somehow in slow mo. You know, the shit that like awful fucking YouTube paid channels do. But like how would really happen? Everyone's like, no, what's what's happened? I don't want to. I have so love when they figure out that she's just watching the YouTube videos on, on mute, mute because he's hot. Um, like, how is she watching this over and over again? Or he's planning on one white boy going to China to prove string theory. And two, he's going to attach from the top of an ancient pagoda, which he probably should not even be touching. And he's going to take this other piece of string to a mountain or something like six weeks walking. Yeah. And it is shitty, cheap, red yarn. One, where's he getting that much yarn? So he doesn't know math well enough to have enough yarn to make that trip. And it probably never occurred to him that that yarn is going to break at the drop of a hat. Like I was surprised by how stressed out I was by that. Guy. Oh no, he's <laughs> awful. He who is, do you know who this actor is? Um, I don't even remember his name. I think it's John Reynolds. Pretty, yeah, John Reynolds. He, I guess he also has a recurring role on Stranger Things, which I have actually yet to watch. I've watched the first two seasons. Yes, I am seeing pictures. I, I Googled him. I'm seeing pictures where he looks significantly less douchey, so good job him. <laughs> Um, but, oh, God, I want to punch him in the face. He's something. All right. It's weird because the A plot and the B plot are very interconnected in this episode, although well, that would technically be the B plot. And then the A plot is they're trying to get Sanjay, Sanjay to, help. to help because they can't figure out how to get rid of this guy. 
except Sanjay is even more on his fucking pedestal than normal because he's getting interviewed for Game Changers. Which is the take your pick of uh, douchey, like, oh, here's this up-and-coming celebrity. Yeah. Uh, he... He's going to. It's How kind did of like you become time, so great? It's kind of like the time thirty under thirty, except with a TV show episode about them, as opposed to just a list of like this person could be smart. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that one of his line when he first gets called to God in that episode? What's the line? Duty calls. Oh my God, I hate this show. I love it, but I hate this show. So the ongoing story here is he is the game. Have we mentioned God is a dingus? God's a dingus. (laughs) Game Changers is trying to get some recordings of him working with God, not knowing God is a dingus and thinking that they're going to get like really deep intellectual stuff. But God is increasing disaster as he's trying to make lunch. He can't figure out how to make a microwave work. He then burns his hands because he explodes a chicken pot pie and just keeps holding on to it. So now he can't use his hands all episode. So instead of eating chicken pot pie, he drinks like 16 juices. And then gets what happens when you drink 16 juices and... Duty calls. Duty calls. Bap, bap. And Sanjay has to go wipe his ass for him. A few times. A few times. So here's the question. Did Daniel Radcliffe go too far? (sighs) What happens, spoiler, sorry, if you're not catching that we're doing spoilers in this episode or this entire podcast by now, (laughs) I don't know what to tell you anymore. But uh, Daniel Radcliffe goes in to, like, see what's happening and realizes that he's wiping God's ass and he, like, opens the door so the... Uh, the camera crew. The camera crew can catch him. I don't know. Right? Because like, on one hand. Maybe technically. But like, dude's been a douche to you his entire career. For centuries by the sound of it. And you don't often get an opportunity like that, like, handed to you. And I mean, up until seconds before, he was being an absolute little monster. Yes. To Craig, like, so I guess there's the question of like, is payback really ever justifiable? But also, like, maybe he shouldn't have done it. But I absolutely understand and probably would have done it. But I don't blame you for doing it. Yeah, (laughs) like probably technically no, but (laughs) or technically yes, he went too far. But you know, I'll look the other way on this one. (laughs) But. They and Sanjay seemed to get it in the end. Sort of, yeah. Uh, Sanjay had to get taken off his high horse. And honestly, I can't think of anything that would have... Anything else that would have done it? Yeah, he, it had to be something really like... But they also sort of destroyed Sanjay's career. Yes. Or at least future career prospects. But if they bring Sanjay in, which adds a new level to the team, because Sanjay is... Very good at these slightly bigger miracles. Yes. Credit where credit's due. That said, his miracle does involve exploding an oil tanker. (laughs) (laughs) Which is hilarious. Oh, it's really funny. But as you're watching it, they're like, yeah, you're like, yeah, wait, no, just no. It caused an oil spill, but (sighs) this is might be the place. Possibly my favorite ongoing gag of this entire show 
is the news anchor that will pop up to tell the stories. And he does everything in a very news anchor story, but will tell you about how awful the sites <laughs> are. so terrible. Of <laughs> I will, what was it? Something bad happens. And he's like, I'm also in danger of being taken away by a flood. I'm speaking, of course, of a flood of my own tears. (laughs) I want that guy, that actor's job. I just want to be that role for everything. So good. Um, But yeah, the, so that screwed up the oil company that homeboy's dad had stock in. So they weren't rich anymore. And the moment that he found out he didn't have money, the absolute shitty entitlement comes out and he starts, Daddy, you have to give me money on the phone, which utterly breaks the... uh, Oh, yeah, Laura's like, peace, homie. The thirst trap ends real fast. She's like, oh, ooh, this is no good. Maybe I should go text John Bass. Yeah, so they uh, connect with Sam, and we make kind of the first progress that's happened in a while here, in like a week of the two weeks. Yeah, and that basically leads straight into episode four, uh, which is six days. Craig is feeling left out because they are absolutely ignoring him. This is where we find out about the bog and all their uh backstories, too. Uh, Because... Eliza and um, Sanjay are very similar. And at first, that means they're working in, like, perfect sync. Yep. And they're getting more and more extreme in the things that they're doing to to, to, uh, make things work. But they're also forgetting, and this is where Craig does come in, they're forgetting the small human aspect. They're forgetting... That what they're really trying to do is answer these two people's prayers, not just we have to make this one thing happen. It was almost a little bit painful how much Sanjay and Liza did not understand their targets. Yeah, they immediately go to, as we said, the highest possible well, I not mean, the highest. I would say the kiss cam is worse, but yeah, but the you know, like let's yeah, let's throw these two like pretty uh, socially awkward people just in the middle of like their super social outgoing friends party that we have to like, <laughs> and then <laughs> we have to make them. a lot of people get sick so that they're even invited, and like, then let's get them super shit faced. Yeah, they are. Oh, that's a lot of booze. <laughs> that would kill a horse. Um, meanwhile, to dis- uh, now that Sanjay has disappeared from being God's executive to help out with these guys, uh, God is lonely, so they try to find him a new prophet. And Craig gets recruited to be a wingman because he's not... Yeah, He, he- feels unhelpful and unwanted down below. With these two, um, like kind of amazing, but really pretty terrible people. Mm-hmm. I, I liked. I mean, there's nothing as super interesting to be said about it, but I liked that whole little B plot. Like, I liked their basically being Tinder for profits and God trying to hook up. One, just showing someone hearing the voice of God in the modern day and like immediately going to a psychiatrist and stuff was very funny. I oh, want immediate. And, it, um, and Tim Meadows does it so well. I love Tim Meadows. He's so funny. 
I always think of him as Caleb the Cannibal from Brooklyn Nine Nine, mm. but I know everyone's got their own places of where they think of Tim Meadows. The idea that God, even though he can't see God, he's just hearing God. When God thinks it's like time to basically hook up, they're treating him like this is yeah a romantic thing. Puts on the leather jacket to to like seal the deal. It's like, oh God, you're God, you're very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I love how his first pick was basically just him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. Um, I always go for the same type. Long hair living out in the wilderness. The the point of connection here is the realization that these two egg each other on the that they go too far and they say that they need someone who's kind of a coward and scared but really what they need is someone who is not them not them and who understands the humanity of the people although he immediately sets somebody on fire that's true so it's not like he's actually wildly better but he does he understands what those people need like the setting on fire was what he needed to do to back them out of the mess that they got into but he needed to to relax them. Um, and this is where the team, which is, I don't know if it's a good thing that on episode four of seven, the team really starts to come together. But this is where the team, even though we are, we still are going to get Rosie next episode, gels. And you're starting to see everyone's point. And they are now respecting each other for their different strengths in a way they weren't before. Uh, episode five is three days, which is amazing nana oh god uh awkward nerd boy is so in love with his grandmother and they find out she's gonna die the day before the date his date so they're like well that date's getting canceled and if that date gets canceled the world explodes so we need to save nana <laughs> maybe it wouldn't be such a big deal Oh, man. <laughs> uh, but he's got 75 pictures of his Nana on his phone. Rosie is uh, who we've mentioned a few times, but she's mostly operating as secretary for God mm -hmm. has been offered an executive position in a different uh, galaxy galaxy, but she can only get it if earth, earth is destroyed it. because then she'll be out of a job and they can't head be seen to head hunting her. Mm -hmm. So, She's like, well, time to destroy the world. And they're like, well, we have to trick God into signing this thing to keep the, this paper that will keep Nana alive an extra like month. I loved death just being a crazy fucking computer, unfeeling, just machine that's just coursing with electricity. And looks like it's from the mid 80s. Yeah. Fucking uh, what's it? Rosie. Her origins like she's a badass. Yeah, she just wants to be cool and be helpful, and instead her entire fucking job is pretty much to take the toy out of the bottom of a bag of cereal and put it on a shelf for God. But God being illiterate is so great. <laughs> it answers a lot of problems. Not a problem, but it answers a lot of things about the Earth. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the biggest, the, the, the two parts of this one, the A plot of convincing God to sign the thing that he thinks is a liquor license for Lazy Susan and getting Rosie on their side. And it's said in the final episode, but I think it kind of, whether anyone admits it or not, 
everyone in this does love Earth. Yeah. Because as terrible as everything is, the Earth is shown as a very lovable place in this. Even when we get the bits of the other workers... None of them really hate their jobs. It's just not exciting. Yeah, they're mostly just frustrated because they see things they want to do, but they can't for various mm-hmm. reasons. Uh, the jelly bean punishment was also part of this. Everyone thinks, and we won't give away the mm-hmm. joke on this one, but everyone thinks that... Uh, God's turning people, people to piss into, jelly beans. into jelly beans. The biggest running thing, one, watching Daniel Radcliffe play Craig be drunk... I liked Drunk him. Craig was amazing. I loved him super freaked out. <laughs> boggin' a loggin' it off. It's a frog and a boggin' a loggin'. I can't remember his fucking little uh, thing that he was going on. His, like, his thing to calm down from panic attacks or <laughs> Eliza trying to convince Rosie to come help out because they need somebody who has an idea of what's going on because they're all fucking wild. Mm-hmm. And she's like, look at me. I'm the leader of the group and I've killed a lot of people. And just Daniel Radcliffe, goes, she leads us. We're terrible. Uh, I don't. It was just charming. Episode six is one day. My least favorite episode of this first season. Really? Yes, by a long shot. The kiss cam, or yeah, this is the kiss cam episode. Um, them not understanding their targets was the plot line of an episode just two episodes ago in only a seven episode season. So by this point, that they need to do something else. Uh huh. This was a fucking waste of time. I. The hate, like... Kiss cams are awful anyways. Like, just as... The idea is because they need these two people to kiss. Specifically, these two have to kiss on a date. So if they kiss on the kiss cam, that counts. And I think what it's showing is everyone but Craig is still looking at this. They're not answering the prayer. They are still looking at this at the very fundamental like exact thing of instead of making this work please make this happen just if they kiss it counts prayer answered and it it wouldn't have been answered yeah i just you have a seven episode season and two of their a plots is you have to listen to craig (laughs) that really fucking bugged me and the fact that they continually with when God with was with his parents, even in the end, when he realizes to not care about them and stuff, he still gets portrayed as a fucking loser and a dingbat. But that's after you find out that none of those other planets that his parents or his siblings were ruling had free will. Yeah. The, the idea of giving people free will was like the worst idea God had, which objectively, if you want a utopia, Yes. Then that is, but also takes the fun. I do enjoy, they keep trying to explain the parts of earth and they're like, what's a cow? What's a cow? It's a dog you can drink from. What's a dog? It's like a cow you can play with. (laughs) What's a giraffe? Explain a giraffe. (laughs) It's a dog with a really, like, God literally can't explain animals outside of the context of a dog. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was pretty good. And I think everyone does a good job. I just... Technically, there is nothing wrong with this episode. I don't think you're wrong, though, that, like, you could have changed up a lot. Like, in some ways, we needed to get a few points from point A to point B that they weren't ready for at the end of last episode. So we just kind of 
made them be. Mm-hmm. Uh, we needed God on their side. Like God no longer actively trying to destroy the earth, but also he can't change it because he's already set up this bet and like he can't, there's no take backsies even for God. Well, and then you also at the very end of the episode have um, Sam, uh, boy nerd, mm-hmm. getting really weirdly super aggro just so that they're split up for most of the last episode. Or not aggro, but like you know, I'm gonna confrontational. Actually, I'm gonna push back on you a little bit here, because he's had the weirdest at this point. He's at the weirdest fucking week. He's super stressed out. He's on a second date with this girl that he's really into, and he just watched someone die, and had, and I want to say the little girl blamed him for it specifically. Um, because did he push? What happens is a like they're not kissing on the kiss cam. So the mascot comes to like, yeah, horn in on, you know, awkward bullshit. God, I hate kiss cams kind of thing. But when I think it's Sam pushes the mascot away, the mascot has a heart attack and dies. Um, well, did they burst his appendix to get him away from her? Maybe there's a burst. We haven't mentioned this. There's a burst appendix button <laughs> that they occasionally use to solve problems. Occasionally. And it's never good. <laughs> I think you're right. I think this is the worst episode. I don't think it's even a badly done episode. It's just, it was kind of, we need people in certain spots for the final episode. But I I do think, and I see where you're coming from, but I do think Sam is uncomfortable and stressed out and doesn't really know what's going on. Well, and he they, doesn't know how to deal with people. Yeah, I mean, so he's just like, that was with... awful. He's like, oh, God, that was awful. I'm awful. Like, that's, I don't know what trauma Sam has going in his past, but that's trauma baby brain speaking right there. And then we get to the last episode. Last episode is so good. Uh, one hour where they actually have to make everything. The world's about to end. I don't know how much I want to talk about this one. Just in the, like, I want people to come watch it. It's well, I, I, it's not till literally the last minute that they, anyone other than Craig really comes to understand what they're trying to do, that they're trying to answer this prayer, not just make two lips touch. I didn't, this is going to sound like I had a problem with it, but it does, I don't know, I guess it bugs me, but not enough that I actually, like, count it against the episode. It's more like when I just sit there and think about it too much. Mm -hmm. Like, everyone was super stoked in heaven that Earth was getting destroyed. And then they changed over to helping, they got invested to helping save the Earth real fucking fast. And, like... I know from working in shitty jobs that you can look like you're doing your job and not do your fucking job. And they needed everyone to do their job to make that work. And I'm surprised everyone actually did their job. Yeah. All for the sake of protecting their pension. Um, you're not wrong. I had that thought the first time. Uh, this is where it falls under. And it's maybe why it's a little hard to discuss this show in some ways. This show is built on fucking charm. Mm hmm. And any points where you're trying to discuss it and you're like, actually, that doesn't make much sense. Daniel Radcliffe, Steve Buscemi, and all the other actors whose names I really need to learn (laughs) are charming enough, even when they're being kind of slimy, 
that you can get away with it. And I think, like, they could have made that make sense if this was, like, three seasons of just being in heaven. Mm-hmm. But they had seven 22-minute episodes mm-hmm. to tell this story. Uh, like I said, it doesn't... When I watch the episode, that doesn't bug me. But when I sit there and think about the episode, I'm like, I've been in a shit job. Like, I know what you do right there. It's always the danger that we have when we're reviewing something on this show that we're like, this show's fucking great. But now that I think about it... I don't know. That's what makes fun to talk about out loud. Though. Yeah. Because some of this shit you don't even realize. Like, not this show, but over on Word Balloons having to explain Fenris out loud. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> Nazi incest twins. Um, Kink Nazi incest twins. Uh, go listen to Word Balloons. <laughs> I mean, worst case scenario, this show gets a solid B plus from me. Probably an A for the most part. So, like, I'm not... I mean, I, it's I, definitely worth your time to watch. I dug this season, and it's probably overall my least favorite season. Having not seen the third season, I'll still probably agree with you. I think there's there's one aspect of season three that I think dips lower than any of the other seasons, but I think overall it's a stronger season. So You'll find out about that yeah. one in about a month. Yeah, because uh, we're going to just keep talking about yeah, this. Uh, <laughs> I like in this season, there was obvious chemistry between Daniel Radcliffe and... Uh, Geraldine. Geraldine. Uh, Viswathnathan. Viswathnathan. So sorry, my Montana accent. Um, I will try to make sure I have that down and right by next episode. <laughs> but I like that it at no point overwhelms any part. Like, he's so obviously crushing on her, and there's an attraction back on some level. But it never overwhelms the show. Right. There are some shows... And shows that I love. Brooklyn Nine-Nine has this for bits of it. Scrubs has this for bits of it. Where the romance overwhelms, kind of floods out everything else that's happening in this show. This one doesn't do it, but it still allows for little bits of that, like, concept of romance. And you don't even actually have to accept the idea that they become a couple in this show. There's totally ways to read this that they're not by the end of it. Or that they could be. Or that they, you know... Well, by the end of this season. Yeah. The end of next season is very different, but that's and season, season three. I'll yeah. trust you on that one. He's seen season three. I haven't yet. It's well, and that's one of those things like it's kind of a Blackadder show where in weird ways, everyone's relationships to each other stay the same, but, but not, not quite. The everyone's character is still has definite tie throughs, but like Daniel Radcliffe's character is not is the same completely freaking different. He's still kind of a uh, awkward dingus, but like, but you can see the through line. Yeah, at least when it comes to uh, interacting with other characters. Mm-hmm. Check it out. It's on HBO Max. It's a good time. As we said, it's not a it's not a long watch. So I mean, I, I did it in a day. If you yeah. set it across two days, it's very little investment. Yeah, it's super simple. Watch it over dinner. Do we have any recommendations? I mean, I have one just because I've go, mentioned cause... it so many times now. Go watch Blackadder. Oh, God, Blackadder is good. Um, even if I've said it in the past, like, fuck it, I'll re-recommend it again. No, Bla- Blackadder deserves many recommendations. Um, everybody probably knows Rowan Atkinson as Mr. Bean. My favorite role is as Blackadder for him. I would agree. Um, 
Blackadder is another anthology series done by the BBC back in the late 80s, early 90s, um, or mostly late 80s. I want to say season four might have been the only one in the 90s. It was right in that time period either way. Um, Hugh Laurie's in most of it. Yeah, it's... Hugh Laurie is in technically from season two on, although in season two he only shows up in, a, in an episode. Oh, really? Yes. I haven't watched them in long enough that I kind of forgot about that. But uh, but Stephen Fry is in all the seasons, or is he not in season one? He's not in season one. The only... You have Brian Blessed in season, season one. one. Yeah, but the only through through all of them is Rowan Atkinson. And then they realized that they needed... Oh, and um, um, Tony Robinson is Baldrick. He's not in season one. Oh... He joins in season two That's because right. they realized that the balances weren't quite right. So That's right. Uh, is the uh, what's his name? Um, the one that plays Percy is he in season one? I don't remember. We've talked about doing an episode on Blackadder. Uh, anyway, it's another anthology series. It follows uh, the character of Blackadder, who past season one is always a descendant of the first Blackadder. In the first one, he's a prince. In the second one, he's a lord. In the third one, he's a So the servant. way, yeah, the kind of one of the things as the season goes on is the character of Blackadder every season is in a lower social station, but is more intelligent than the previous season. And in the final one, he's like a sergeant in the army. Like he's not even a. Yeah. No, yeah. he's a lieutenant, I think, because he is an officer, but he's like a very unimportant officer. Ooh, I'm trying to remember. The final episode makes me cry. No, the final episode makes me cry as well. No, Every time I've watched it, nothing it makes me cry. as dumb as that show is should make me sob as hard as the final episode did. But yeah, yeah. First season, yeah. First season, he's a prince. Second season, he's a noble. Third season, he's the butler to the prince regent. Uh huh. And then the fourth season, he's, he's like a lieutenant. He's a low-ranking military officer. He outranks Percy, and Percy's a lieutenant. Oh, okay. So he might be a captain. Yeah. But I mean, but he's in the high. trenches in world war one. The entire point of season four is him trying to avoid going over the top. That's all we'll say in a comedy series. Oh my God is heavy. <laughs> um, but it's, it's fucking masterful past the first. I have issues with the first season, but I will watch issues. it. The first season has some really funny bits. It is awkward. And, and they know it's awkward. That's why they reworked the whole concept for. Uh, and another big um, actor slash comedian that shows up in it in season one and season three is Rick Mayall, who most people in the United States would probably remember as Drop Dead Fred. Tom Baker shows up in an episode, too. Oh, shit. The fourth doctor. He's a sea captain that like keeps screaming at him. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah, that's Tom Baker. Oh, it makes me so happy. Um, <laughs> that actually kind of ties in. I had, I had a recommendation, and they stepped in and it lost. I'm gonna go with Doctor Who and the Curse of Fatal Death, which is, it was a special made by Stephen Moffat, who later took over the show, starring Rowan Atkinson as the Doctor. And it's the idea of the doctor has decided he's going to retire. So he's trying to make some deal with the master, but the master keeps killing him and he keeps coming back. I'm so I'm like blown away that I never realized that he was Captain Redbeard. Rome. That Tom Baker is the, yeah. 
Uh, but the, that's one of my favorite episodes. Oh, it's I so funny. Fucking love. Uh, but but uh, the doctor keeps coming back and he keeps getting killed and keeps getting regenerated, and it's just these two one upping each other back and forth, the doctor and the master, and then it ends in a weirdly prophetic way of the doctor reincarnating as a woman, a blonde woman, and being like, okay, and leaving. Because part of the thing is the doctor has fallen in love with as a companion, which also was never a thing in the original series, which was a pretty major aspect of Rose. Mm-hmm. And then he reincarnates as a woman and he's like, this is fine. And the two leave together. Like it accidentally plotted out a lot of new who in the space of like 10 minutes. Interesting. Hell yeah. You can find it on YouTube. I think that's it. Yep. We're back next time with season two of miracle workers. Uh, I will try to be a little more ahead. This is season two is much more my bag. Um, no, we're going to get medieval on their asses. Oh man. It's basically if Belgarth was a TV show in the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Hi everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. However you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us, however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple podcasts, we would super appreciate it as the whole world is around on algorithms and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, also, I mean, tell your friends, we always appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, Email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. While you're there, check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, Go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.